Wait, you froze. You froze for a long time for me, so I don't know what happened. Okay, I'll just do a start over. Yeah. All right. Hello and welcome to Talk to You Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. That's right, it's me. And uh, as always, we have the lovely Sylvie Lubau here with us to produce, to ask questions, to co-host, to do all the things that Sylvie does. <laughs> it's true. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> You're going to help me through this interview. You're going to send me some chats. We're going to make sure we You're gonna get the right questions them. answered. Yeah, disregard it's them. It's per usual. <laughs> Um, and we have a great guest today we have des trainer who's the chief strategy officer and co-founder at intercom intercom is a personal messaging service for businesses and their customers i've known des for a long time and it was very good to catch up with him and we really talked a lot about ai and implications and uh, some stuff about how fast especially in his world things are going to go it was a pretty wild interview i think that i think that the audience is going to learn a lot in this one i definitely did yeah. For use, anytime we talk about AI. I mean, it's changing that fast. <laughs> I know. Before we get into lessons, uh, mm -hmm. what's got you talking too loud over there? So, you know, um, I just went on a big trip. I went to Italy and Amsterdam. Heck yeah. Went to Italy for a conference or an unconference, if you will, that Rand Fishkin, the Rand Fishkin put on, which is great. Um, and went to Amsterdam to see some family. But my flight... A very ridiculous thing happened on my flight to Italy, which was I'm ready. so I'm sitting there. Everyone is on the flight. There's a seat next to me that's open. Last guy gets on the plane. He's sitting next to me and he like he's kind of a whirlwind. Um, <laughs> okay. you know, just a, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, that's, that's the only way I like could really describe it. he has a lot it. of bags. Like, it's like, like he came over and he threw bags in the seat next to me and then he ran down the aisle and then he came back up and okay. he ran back and then he gets into a seat. And at this point, they shut the doors and the plane starts moving basically instantly. Okay. And what this, what this guy does uh, is he takes out his phone and he starts taking out papers. He takes out a W-2. He takes out 1099s. Uh-oh. And it is uh, April 18th. Season. It is tax day. It is the day <laughs> your tax are due. And I watched this man in approximately the 10 minutes before we lose internet, before an international flight, I watch him finish his taxes. Holy smokes. That's cutting it close. But he did it. He did it, I think. But it was, I mean, you know, it's like the armrest in between us. He's got all of his, like, <laughs> his W-2 on it and his tenant. It's like, I'm like trying not to look, but it's, there's you're no like, way. Now not I know to. your social security number, exactly. guy. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. I'm start watching a movie. I'm like, I'm going to watch one movie. Now I'm going to go to sleep on this, like, red, red eye flight. <laughs> And so I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm watching the movie. I'm watching Amsterdam. Do you know mm -hmm. that one? Mm -hmm. Haven't seen it, but it yes. was okay. Yeah. Um, That's how it seemed. Yeah. Well, okay. actually, the guy sitting next to me, I take my headphones off. He's like, how's the movie? <laughs> and you're, you're like, like, how are those like, W2s? Well, okay. I'm like halfway in. I, if I were you, I probably wouldn't start it. It's like weird. He's like, a lot of famous people in there. Like, And he starts talking to me. And it was just like the most like... Ridiculous experience of <laughs> he's he's really excited. He's really animated. He t he just ran the Boston Marathon okay. two days before. This but he's, tracks. He's run the Boston Marathon twenty five times in a row. Wow. There's only 106 people who have ever done that. Yeah. He's one of them. So wow. he has like this current streak going. Okay. I could honestly tell you stories about this guy for hours. <laughs> um, it was just a very hilarious, just one of those experiences of like. 
oh, this is international travel. And like, if I keep talking to this guy, Adam, I'll never sleep. And he seems perfectly happy with doing that. So, you know, I'm also talking too loud about plane etiquette. So I feel like that's kind of, you know, like, do you chat up your, your seatmate? Like, is that, you know, like, how can you read the signs when you're just like, stop talking? I want to just sleep or like watch a movie. But this has never happened to me on a plane before. We, we landed, I, I went to Mexico very, very briefly. And when we got back to JFK, we landed at like maybe 945. We got stuck on the tarmac for probably two hours. Oof. It was rough. But I have never been on a plane where people are so vocal about their frustration. Mm. It was like full on booing, like yelling <gasps> oh to the point gosh. where I was just like, yeah, like I, I, I don't know. Like, what do you do? Because it's not their fault. This was all on JFK. You know, it's funny, though. Both these cases, it's like. What do we want this product to do? What's the job we hired it to do? We're just trying to get to a place. I'm trying to arrive. I'm not trying to have a new seatmate that like <laughs> uh, like talks to me all night and drinks and eats too much and wakes me up on my red eye. You're not trying to get stuck on the tarmac. When you pay for a product or service, you expect to get a result. And actually, this interview with Des, we get deep into what do people get when they use a product? How will AI totally change the solutions that we get and why do we need to adopt some of these things quickly and how should we look at them working and what don't we know? So I think it's probably a good time to jump into that interview with Des. Des, man, it's so good to see you. It's been too long. How are you? Good. It's been about seven or eight years. Jeez, it's been a while. Something like that. And I, I also... I remember this one time that you and I met in San Francisco. It was one of my fir- earlier trips to San Francisco. And I was like, wow, this is what a San Francisco startup is like. And we went to some, you and I got breakfast somewhere. And it was like this like, really fancy breakfast. I was like, is this what breakfasts are like here? And everyone else is like talking tech stuff. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. it was like one of those moments I look back on. I was like, wow, this is what happens out here. Yeah. I actually remember that. Uh, that was the Grove, I think we went to. Uh, yes. I was on, on second or mission or something. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It was a good chat. We, I think we were both lamenting the, the challenges of scaling a marketing org, which turns out you could spend a whole decade doing. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, look, we're going to get into all of that, but it's so good to see you. As you know, this show is called Talking Too Loud. It's called Talking mm-hmm. Too Loud because I cannot control the volume of my voice when I get excited. I was also recently told this is an American thing that all quote Americans are loud. So, but I think I'm unique. So anyway, that's, (laughs) that's also an American thing. That's also an American (laughs) thing. So, um, but we love to start the show by hearing about what has our guests talking to loud. So I'm wondering what has you talking to loud these days? Is there any other answer in tech right now? Other than AI? Like, uh, you know, it's not, you know, I could bore you to death. Like, you know, uh, SOC 2 compliance and <laughs> HIPAA forms and stuff like that. But no, uh, all of that's in our rearview mirror. No, like, look, the AI is the single biggest thing that anyone, like, I'm trying to think of, like, there's very few businesses that aren't going to be dramatically transformed by AI and very few software businesses specifically. For us, like, uh, AI, it turns out it's really good at text and uh, it's really good at conversations. And it turns out customer support is a lot of text and conversations. 
So no, yeah. it's had dramatic changes in how we think about the actual nature of conversational support. And uh, that's where we've been channeling the majority of our energy into for the last six months. So, I mean, I've been following what you what you guys are doing, and it's very cool. And I, I you know, we, we, I promise this whole show will not just be an ad for Intercom, but mm-hmm. I do think if you could bring people in to what Intercom is, and then we'll get into like why this matters so much to you all and the things that you're doing in your approach, because it's been interesting to watch. Sure. Intercom is an automation first conversational customer support platform. Loads of words there. I, I could be, I'm, not, I'm not in pitch mode, though. I'm trying to explain things. So automation first, meaning that we have a lot of ways to automate uh, your support strategy. Uh, conversational, meaning we don't trade in just in terms of like tickets and filing things. We actually encourage businesses and customers to chat, like chat in the style of a messenger. If you've ever seen Intercom before, it's usually floats in the bottom right-hand corner. It's, it's a little cute little icon, and it drops you into a kind of rich enough chat uh, product uh, where you can speak to the business. So that that's what Intercom is. So like... The first stuff I saw you guys do was basically use AI to help the employee of your customer. Yeah, yeah, what we call like the agent assist sort of thing. Yeah, the agent assist. And I think that's a really interesting thing because, you know, a lot of people, if you play with ChatGPT, especially I think if you don't play with it that much, if you have like a hallucination, right, which Mm -hmm. is in AI when it comes back with something that makes no sense um, or irrelevant or makes up data, people look at it and they're like, well, this, I can't use this, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's not 100% accurate. And my take of seeing what you all did was like, you're like, all right, there's going to be hallucinations, going to be problems. So instead of just making this customer facing, we're actually just going to specifically go around making your the employees of your customer like more productive and right. save them time and do work that they don't want to do. Is that right? And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So um, the kind of background uh, for us, and maybe for all, all your listeners, is like ChatGPT launched November 30th. It was immediately obvious. We had been in the open AI, who were the company to build it. We had been in there, what they call the playground area, where you can uh, experiment yeah. or play with various uh, features. We were aware that something big was coming. When ChatGPT launched and we all played with it, it was kind of an immediate, pivotal moment in, in AI. Everything changed overnight. Uh, we had a meeting in myself and Fergal, who's our director of machine learning, pretty well, I think it was the following morning or maybe a day later. We're like, this is much bigger than anyone expected. However, the hallucinations were obvious. But like independent of that, it was still clear that there was something massive here. So the logic behind launching Agent Assist was entirely like there are there are recurring workflows such as summarizing a conversation or answering a common question or like uh, writing the answer and then like formalizing it, making it more acceptable, tone of voice, whatever, uh, that every agent does. And that's what I would call like, the undifferentiated heavy lifting of a, of like support, like you know, you know the answer, and now you just have to like type the thing out, right? And uh, so it felt like a really target-rich environment with a very sort of safe playground as well. Uh, by safe, I mean we weren't going to send anything to your users. So as a result, everyone was welcome to play with it. So we scrambled and we launched that. I guess six weeks later, uh, I will uh, caveat and say like two of those weeks were Christmas. So uh, so it was a pretty fast turnaround, and the features we launched were like expand, summarize, uh, like change tone, uh, and then just a direct line to GPT. And we launched some features around article creation as well. So if you're writing a customer support article and like the, if the beginning paragraph is like, here's how to reset your iPhone, turns out that's something that ChatGPT does know how to do because it's documented a lot on the internet. Uh, so you can kind of inject stuff and it'll you know, auto-complete on steroids for those types of things. Um, but the hallucinations are real. 
And then what, once we felt we had that in a good position, we then, we then basically started saying, is there a way to contain the hallucinations? And like to catch us up to where we are today, like along the way, GPT-4 launched our own understanding and our own investments started to pay off. And that is all concluded in a product called Fin, uh, which is a full uh, generative AI customer support bot, which is like currently in beta for us, but will be coming soon. So that's a very fast evolution, right? Yeah. Bring us in, because I think especially in your business, like what people are doing, they're writing text to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we're talking about chat bots and you have a chat product. Mm-hmm. That's scary too, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Like the moment you see this launch, you're like, oh God, like, can we use this? Can you bring us into that moment when you had to, how'd you know that you had to move so quickly? And how'd you have the confidence to do that? Is it just that you've done this long enough? Did your spidey senses go off? Like, what advice would you give to other people? I guess is what I'm trying to get. To. I'm trying to get to the story yeah, yeah, of yeah. what that felt like and what you did, because I think that while today there's some obvious areas where AI is going to have an impact, it's going to change and have lots of impacts on other businesses over time. And so the lesson of how you navigated this, I think is really interesting. Yeah, cool. So um, I'll give you a sort of abstract idea. Like for us, it was just, you know, it was a combination of intuition, spidey sense, but also very quickly uh, reality, if you know what I mean. Like as in once you start building these features and you look at them, you're like, huh, that's not a perfect summarization of this conversation, but I did get it in 0.6 seconds. Yeah. And then the, the other yeah. piece that like, you see a lot of this would say like um, self-driving cars. Uh, people's threshold that they think they have to clear is like perfection. And then they reverse blindly around a corner when they're getting out of their car. You, you know, like it, yeah. in, no one is as perfect as they hold the standards of an AI bot to, right? Yeah. Uh, so you kind of realize there's a tension there between like, like makes zero mistakes and human. P.S. Humans don't make zero mistakes. So for us, it was like, there's definitely very clearly something here that can approximate like, uh, like the, the value that humans deliver, uh, and can definitely streamline a lot of, a lot of like repetitive tasks. Now, how do I think about that more generally? Like, so for example, I've invested in a few different startups. They've all asked me questions along the lines of, Hey, as you guys move pretty quickly, what should we do for AI or whatever? And like the best way I can try and, um, Answer Sorry, this. I'm is laughing. A, I love the impression yeah. of them. That's, uh, oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Dad. All, this, all yeah. these morons that I've sort of invested. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, I, I guess what I mean is I, I'm using a separate voice to distinguish them from, from the protagonist in this no, case. No, it's great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Keep, I um, want more yeah, voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so they say, hey, Dad. Uh, no, um, okay. Um, so, like, the, the way I try to think about this is like, right, there's been a tectonic shift in what's possible. And most of the time software exists to make it like quicker, faster, easier, cheaper, or just more accessible to more people to do something. Now that something can be like sending an invoice, tracking time, balancing a PNL, you know, creating a presentation, but it's usually about one of these core ideas. So what did AI do? Well, well, it's offered us a lot of capabilities, right? We can now generate pretty believable looking art forms like, uh, you know, Midjourney, Dolly, et cetera. Right? Uh, you can now, create stuff that looks pretty good. So you can say like, I'd love this, you know, this header to sit on a beautiful blue and green gradient background. And you can say beautiful blue and green gradient background, and you'll get something that's probably a beautiful blue and green gradient background. And that's good enough, you know? So that's one capability we have now. Being able to describe what something should look like can often, in a lot of cases, render something that looks damn like the description. And that has, you know, transformation in certain areas. 
Another new tech we have is obviously large language models in general. So what does that mean? It means they can conceivably discuss anything that has ever happened any, on the internet, at least pre-2021 or whatever, right? I'm sure that that year will change soon. And they can consume information, and based on those, they can like apply judgment, make inferences. So you can say things to an LLM like, given all this context, tell me this thing. Um, and with a reasonably high degree of accuracy, but non-perfect, and with obvious hallucination scenarios, it can actually do all that. So these are like the new capabilities, if you like, right? So to try and thread the needles. The question is, how do these new capabilities make it uh, cheaper, faster, easier, or uh, more accessible to more people to do the job that it is that your software already did? So as an example, processing payroll, something like that, right? Are there any errors in my payroll? Here's the context, here's the errors submitted. And it will probably say, hey, you know, you are missing errors entered for the following 25 employees. Or you could say something like, uh, if you're like a, let's say a bug tracking tool, you can say, hey, of all the bugs available, do any of them seem like they have the same root cause? And it can say, yeah, a lot of them reference this common object model, this piece of code, et cetera, or whatever. And it can probably do that and do a pretty good stab at it. Yeah. Right? So these are new things uh, that are now possible that weren't possible before that make the software either cheaper, more powerful or whatever. And then you start to wonder what does the interface to that product look like? And you realize there's really not much of an interface, right? Does the type the thing you're trying to do and plus go, please? And you kind of sit back, you know, and I think in people's heads, they're like, you know, there's like drop downs and filters and all this, but actually the AI is going to take care of all that as well. So I do think that like one of the things that will change with uh, ChatGPT in general is like, we're going to see UIs get a lot Simpler is optimistic, one way of saying it. Text-driven is another way of saying it, or just disappearing is a third way. And on the text-driven piece specifically, um, if we take like a, a product all your listeners would know would be something like, say, uh, Google Analytics, right? And if I asked you, hey, Chris, uh, I'd love you to tell me what is the most performant advertising campaign on an LTV CAC basis that ever ran in Ireland? I know that GA when configured, can answer that question. I also know that you would need to go to like Google Analytics University for seven semesters to actually yeah. get the answer, right? Yeah. And the third thing I know is that if I asked ChatGPT that same question pointed at your data, it would just give me the answer. And I think this is part of what I consider to be like the democratization of software that's going to be caused by this. If you think about a lot, like, you know, software that's easy to use versus hard to use, in general, the, the, the thing that makes it hard is when you know what you want to do, but the actual mechanics of hand, keyboard, mouse, click, drop down, tab is just junky and gets in your way. I think like we're going to enter this era of software where it's easier to explain what it is you're trying to do than it is to do it. And ChatGPT, or sorry, GPT-4 and other large language models like Claude Biantropic and all the rest of the gang uh, will actually become a new way to interface with software. And you've seen this, like, I don't know if you've been following Darmesh from HubSpot. He's been building, I think yeah. it's called ChatSpot or something like that. Yeah. But he's been there just showing like, hey, look at all this stuff that's possible. That's actually a lot easier to do in text when you just say, what is the most popular, like, you know, referring source to like Vidyard or whatever. And it's like, ding, here's the answer. Like that sort of stuff is actually a lot easier to write out than it is to do. I think this will have a transformational impact on software. It turns out like all your sexy drop downs and radio buttons and like autocompletes and all that, they might not actually be necessary because maybe people never really want to use your product. Maybe they just want to explain to your product what it is they want to do and get the answer back very quickly. And then obviously you can layer in 
the last piece we haven't talked about, you know, I'm familiar with many companies in the space through investing, is like audio in both directions. So like uh, the, like OpenAI launched an, an uh, API called Whisper that like mm-hmm. does like re- real time text processing, which means let me speak to the product. Like, hey, uh, like the you know, yeah, I would like me, to see my then, most popular yeah. leads. And then the synthetic voice technologies that we've seen, like I think one of them is called like Volley by Microsoft, uh, where it just given like five or six sentences, it can replicate somebody's voice. Uh, Synthesia is a really hot startup that's doing something in the space. I think you're going to see synthetic voices. So like you know, like uh, your product will have a voice. People will speak to your product. This all ends up with like her, that film with ScarJo. Yeah. But I, I, I think in general, this is like, you know, to, to, to end the monologue, like I think this is this is what I'm talking to a lot about. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. And I appreciate also that you're bringing everybody in on this, like and how you think about it. And I mean, I've been thinking about this interface question too, which is like, there's a lot of stuff. I, th- I think you put that really well. Like you have an idea of what you want to do, then you have no idea how to go through and actually yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, you know, what are all the details you need to set in a product? Can this product solve the problem for you? Yeah. What should your expectations be? And then like in a world where you can just talk to it or you can just write something down yeah. and say, do this for me. Um, yeah, J- Jared Spool, the UIE guy. Um, yeah. You know, when people say a product's fast or a product is slow, he often draws the distinction between what he calls tool time and task time. And tool time is like, how much time does it take to like use the product. So imagine tool time of like WordPress is clicking in to actually put the post live or whatever. Yeah. And task time is how much time does it actually take to do the task as in have an original idea and write it up, right? Yeah. I think that like there's a good chance there's a lot of software like take like Workday which you probably don't use and don't ever but like the any of these HRIS big enterprise yeah. bloatware tools yeah. uh like the tool time is just so high. That yeah. even for me to like request a day off, uh, you know, it's it's actually you know like it's it would take I'd have to take a day off to learn the interface to request a day yeah. off. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I think like I think all of this style of interface can reduce the uh, the tool time down massively, uh, and that is like just transformational. Because like the good news is it means all of these like big old tools can be used like Jira and shit like that can be used by so many more people. And then separately, in a few cases, the task time comes down as well, because simply describing the type of picture you want or describing the type of point you want to make is good enough as well. So I think the time spent in software actually has the propensity to really drop, which is a good thing. Yeah. And it seems like it also, um, I feel like a question for me is going to be like, and maybe this is just how products differentiate. Some decide that they're going to be simpler and easier and they're just text-based and some that are like for the power users are still you still describe what you want, but you can also get back in and see all the dials that were changed and like tweak yeah. them yourself. Yeah. Um, but in that world where it becomes more accessible, the business models are going to have to shift too. Things will literally need to be cheaper, right? Yes, and like, and in turn, they can be, and more people can touch them. And more people can write code to make them. So like a- yeah. everything changes. Like that's like that's why I say like tectonic shift. Like, like nothing will be untouched here. Uh, but yes, and then like an interesting point is like, how do you build the brand of your product at this point? Because if every product's just a text area, what's left to differentiate in a sense, right? Yeah, and, and yeah, there'll be a bit of differentiation in the the horsepower, as in like, hey, this always interprets me correctly, and this can do more things. But ultimately, like you know, for so much of this, it's like uh, how much software, how much of your software usage is actually just there because there's like UI in front of you, and it would just go away if you just had to be like, and now update the project to say it's complete. Uh, close the project, mail all the files to the client, return, yeah. you walk away. Like all that sort of stuff is just massively different. And then the extreme, extreme example of this, and this is probably going too far for to keep this podcast interesting, but like is like <laughs> uh, 
is the future like you know i'm sitting here talking to you in one tab and i've got like you know gmail and superhuman and google docs and all that you can imagine a world where actually just all of these just compress and there's just one like you know desbot where i just that's just my interface to the world and i say things like join that call with chris and but it's just i have one text area as opposed to having like 10 parts and 10 text areas i just have one text area and that's just my virtual yeah. assistant which is actually a lot uh, fergal often reminds me it's a lot like closer to the original uh intention of the internet like in some sense you could imagine the future operating system will just open to a text area or a microphone and you just say what you're trying to do and it does it and that's like that's 90 percent of computing it's funny i'm sure you've seen this you can have like this shortcut on your phone you have to use an open ai api key yeah. and you can like pull gpt in instead of siri yeah and it uses siri's voice yeah and you talk to it and you get answers and i have it and it is like delivers on the promise of siri mm-hmm. yeah totally. like out of the gate yeah where it's just you ask some complicated question and you're yeah. like, hey, I need to travel from this place to this place. Like, how long will it take? Or what things should I bring with me or whatever? All these questions that you would think that's like what we thought mm-hmm. Siri would be. And yeah. it has never really delivered on that. It seems like out of the box it's delivering. And it's just, yeah, yeah it's really interesting also because I think to myself, like, that seems like we're going to end up in some world that you've described. But over what time period? Because yeah. that's like, there's a lot of people who are just used to the way they do things. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> And I also think there's a lot of people who came in and they they tried ChatGPT and they got hallucinations I'm like this doesn't do it and they're like off I would imagine yeah. not using it all the time and then there's everyone else who's like digging in and figuring it out and they're they're like closer to that future but it's it's just interesting to think like when will we be at the point that yeah. you're talking about I think it'll be a lot closer than now I have like you know, you know I'm very invested in this area at this point but like I think it could be like a year. Uh, I, before you know, it's possible uh well i think it's like maybe it's technically possible today like with the sort of hacky you know yeah poke pokery that you described like connect siri to gpt to this to paste yeah. an api think a token i would suspect like apple if you don't do it this june they'll be doing it soon they'll be announcing some groundbreaking like uh like os native large language model powered stuff and yeah. they'll probably do it better than most because uh, like that's what they're good at. Like the Apple, Apple are never going to be ones to like to to break the back of this problem. But they'll be like just like they didn't like with like MP3 players or whatever. They sit back, they watch, they see a lot of people fumble around, and they're like, right, it's pretty clear what people want, and here it is. And the reason this like it's not it's not that Siri matters, but what matters is the average human out on the street. How often do they use AI? And I yeah. think overnight that will go from zero times a day to like a hundred times a day, and then I just think things will start changing. Apple will open up like. Uh, you know, like they never really famously, they didn't really properly open up Siri to like voice commands yeah. for products. So you they can't would, say like, hey, Siri, yeah. open Instagram, change the photo, whatever. They'll need to do that as well to get the sort of deeper usage. But ultimately, like I think, I you know, there's a few sort of big chess pieces to be moved. Uh, the main OS providers, Microsoft and Apple. Microsoft are obviously ahead right now, but like, you know, I think being first doesn't really matter. But I think in general, like everyone's going to get there within a year or so. So I really, I suspect like, in two years' time, the nature of software will be like a lot different. There'll be a lot more either just typed interface, voice interface. I'm not so sure, but mostly because it's a societal change. It's common in some parts of the world, but like there were the idea. Like, so I'm sitting here in Intercom's office. There's like 20 desks over there. If everyone was talking to their computer, it would be pretty, sh- <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like, there's, there's stuff like that that needs to unfold a little bit. Uh, but in general, I think like all of this is going to change very quickly, and I think you're either. If you're a, you know, if you're leading a company, you're either like uh, moving with the tide or you're going to get hit by it. And I think that's why we're trying to move as fast as we can. 
Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I mean, and, and also if you can disclose anything, like you have moved first, you are, I would assume you're seeing, are people using this stuff? Like, yeah, I mean, like fins and beta, it's performing really, really well. Uh, it's biggest strength is it's zero setup. So you literally just turn the thing on and, uh, and it, it's, it's, yeah. we're seeing like, uh, I don't have any f- final figures yet because beta is not concluded. We're seeing a significant, significant reduction in support volume with like end to end full resolution by fin, uh, and customer val- validated resolution is in customer saying, yes, that's exactly what it's like, you know, like, uh, that was my problem. Thank you for addressing it sort of stuff. So that's like, uh, that's huge. We think it's really important to move fast in this space because, well, I guess like there's a great paper, HVR paper that we can link in the show notes, whatever. I think it's called, um, I think it's called the, the half truth, the first mover advantage or something like that. It's a HBR paper. Um, but the gist of it is basically there's always some value to being first mover, but it depends on like the market adoption and the rate of technology change. So in a world where like the tech isn't changing that often, it doesn't really matter as much if you're first at a time when like uh, when buyers aren't adopting the product, it doesn't really matter if you're first. Uh, however, when the tech is changing and people are buying the newest stuff, Whoever finds the winning product uh, will, generally speaking, get like be in a strong position to dominate the market. It is, you know, there's obvious exceptions. Or whatever you could point out, like Apple weren't the first touchscreen phone, or you could say that Apple weren't the first. Uh, yeah. The iPod wasn't the first MP3 player. But I would argue like that there was like you know they nailed the quality aspect in a way that others didn't. I think for us, like I don't think customer support will look anything like it looks today in two years' time because of automation, because of AI. I think it's like. This is a one-way change. It's like a trapdoor function. And I think if uh, businesses want to get like on the sort of front foot with regards to all this tech, they're not going to wait around for like one, two, three, four years for like the incumbent tools, whether it's like Salesforce or ServiceNow or whoever is Zendesk, to figure it out. They're going to want to make the jump. And we want to be the ones saying like, we are here. We are like an automation first. We've been on this. We have the chat. We have the bots. We have the chat bots. You know, we are ready for this world, and uh, and it's really important people people see that. So that's why it was imperative for us to be out first, be out like clearly with a with a product that exists, like not vaporware, but an actual real thing. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, it's been inspiring to see you all work this quickly and get the stuff out there. Um, and I mean, when I certainly saw the demo of Finn, I was like, so you just point at your docs and it goes. That's right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that, that's literally, and, and right, you can point it at anything these days. You can say, go read this community website, go read our internal knowledge base. That's PDF, wild. You yeah, name it. Like, that's amazing. Um, okay. Obviously, you and I could just talk about this like for the entire day, yeah. but I, I want to go into another question about product. So you started Intercom and you also like, we're spending a lot of time on product because you think so deeply about it and you've had so much experience like building product. What makes a great product? And then how do you build a company that can keep making a product great as you get bigger? I think what makes a great product is really like it's fit for purpose for, for letting a customer ultimately get the job it is that they need done. So uh, I feel bad for the folks at Riverside because whenever I'm on a podcast, it's usually Riverside and I usually end up talking about their product in a sense. <laughs> but if we use this as an example, we all came onto this podcast with a definition of success uh, of what we are these we're trying to do. And the ultimate job to be done, I guess, here is like produce a high quality, well-rendered podcast. I think like ultimately a great product is one that like advances the users and, uh, you know, along their, through their life by solving the job that's in front of them. And like the job at the right level of abstraction, you know, the Riverside would be a good product. 
as an example, if it just did audio or if it did audio, but only in certain things or if it compressed it too much or whatever. So I think it's like ultimately for the thing you're making a promise to your customers to help them do, to what degree does it leave them with a sense of satisfaction and a completion at the end of it? Uh, that is ultimately it. Like, and, and if you do that, and if you know, the best way to measure that is not like your customers smiling and nodding in a sense. It comes down to like every time they have that job to be done, do they, re- do they return to you to get it done? If they go somewhere else, it's only because they believe they can get it done cheaper, faster, easier, more accessible with more people somewhere else. So that's ultimately how I think about it. It's just like, what is the customer trying to do? And like, to what degree are they satisfied they've got it done when they finish with your product? Uh, and then the, like the interesting second part of your question, it's quite related to the first because jobs don't really change. Like I'm sure in the 10th century somewhere in Ireland, there was somebody selling something. And I'm sure if the thing didn't work, they came back and that query would have been known as customer service today, but it probably had a different you know tone back then. But the job really hasn't changed. And generally speaking, jobs rarely do. Like, you know, people used to read news in the 14th century and they read news today. They might use Twitter today. They might have used like scrolls from monks back then. But like the fundamental idea hasn't changed. So jobs don't change. What does change is like the ways in which a job can get done. And like that really sits on the bedrock of like what technology is available. Like, so when the printing press arrived, it had obviously a dramatic change for what news was, and it changed the frequency and it changed the, you know, the accuracy and the reproducibility and all that sort of stuff. So if you're in the news business, as in, let's say you're a town crier uh, and the printing press comes along, you're like, huh, the way in which people are going to consume their news is now going to be different and I better get on this tech, right? And then fast forward, uh, like, you know, whatever, whatever many years, hundreds of years, and the internet arrives, or computers arrive. You're like, oh, I, I guess there's a new way to consume news. And then social media arrives, and there's a newer way again, you know. And then Substack arrives or whatever, and it's just like, you know, there's always newer ways to get the job done uh, caused by these, like, technological advancements. Uh, mobile was another one. Cloud was one. You name it, right? And for sure, AI is a big one. So the question becomes, how do you build a software company that, like, sustains or, like, that, that can continue? And ultimately, it comes down to you have to be I think maniacally passionate about helping people get the job done and be uh, like have no loyalty or dogma or religion around how you did the job yesterday. And I think that's like a thing that like the, the second thing, if you ask any rando on the street, they're going to say, oh, of course, yeah, tech moves on, I get that. But you say, okay, Johnny, now I need you to go and delete all that code you spent the last decade writing. And they're like, no, 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 no. My tech yeah, doesn't yeah. move on, but other people's tech moves on, you know. Uh, so it, it's hard to be willing to like revisit all of your priors, all of the way in which you understood the world and how you built your company. Ultimately, uh, it's hard to like force yourself to press a massive like shift F5 refresh, you know, delete all cookies, delete all browser history. We're going to start again from scratch and say, if I had to solve this problem again today with the technology that's available to me today, would I do it differently? And we've seen like, you know, mobile was a great example of this, just a fundamental wave of disruption because it turns out you could now do computing tasks while you're on a bus or while you're waiting for a train or whatever, because you have all of this available to you. So all of a sudden, like, if you take like dating, right? Plenty of Fish was a popular online dating app. Tinder is a popular mobile app. Why? Because, you know, they basically said, right, well, it turns out people are like less, you know, more time precious. So swiping is better than reading like 200 words of text, whatever. Like, uh, similarly, like, news got compressed from, like, broadsheet down to tabloid all the way down to tweet. And now it's down into, like, Instagram real story or TikTok 10-second things or whatever, right? So if you're one of these people who, like, clings on to the past and does not want your world to change, 
the only thing you're doing is really guaranteeing yourself a long, slow death, but you're definitely going to fade away. Uh, and I think it's painful to say we need to rebuild this from scratch or we need to reimagine customer support or whatever it is from scratch, but it's also essential. It's the only way you really stay alive. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's some, there's a lot of hard truth in there that is also hard one, right? Like, I mean, you and I have both been at this for a while mm-hmm. and we've seen, 12 years. Yeah, yeah. It's plenty. We've, we've seen a lot of stuff change. Yeah. And like in our businesses, in how things work day to day, in where you can work, in expectations. And it's like the faster you embrace the change, like the more upside there is. And also, it's more interesting than like if you just hold on to what worked before, that really, it might feel good for like a very short period of time until it feels bad. (laughs) And like a part of that, like there's this quote, I can't remember who it is. I feel like it's an American philosopher. uh, but the gist of the quote is something like, uh, in times of great change, it is the learners who inherit the earth and the learned find themselves perfectly prepared for a world that no longer exists. I think the, the thing I take from that is this idea of like, uh, of like your ego. Like if, you're, if you believe that you have to be an expert, then you definitely don't want the world to change because your expertise declines. I'm okay saying I have not got a rashers about the future of AI. I just, like I've learned lots of interests and lots of thoughts, but like every day I'm learning. And also the stuff I learned, like even in November is out of date already, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, so you have to be willing to be seen as an idiot and say stuff that might be uh, wrong because the alternative is cling to your expertise and, 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 and like and find yourself perfectly prepared for that world that no longer exists. You know, uh, and I think that, you know, people doing that today are like selling fax machines, telling people that it's still got value, you know, uh, it's the world has moved on. And there's also value in being naive, mm-hmm. right? There's value in being in a space and not knowing what what's possible because like sometimes you go after things that most people think are impossible and then they actually happen. Like I That's think about that true. a lot of yeah. like, I had a much easier time writing blog posts like three yes. years into Wistia than I do now. I totally agree. I 100% agree. I find it so... I. I, in my head now, I am the angry commenter being like, well, that's not quite true, this. Exactly. It's all gray. So it's like, totally. it's all this nuance. And like, if I try to write the thing, I yeah. can't write the thing very easily that yeah. before I thought I had the answer. I totally agree. It reminds me of uh, the, the late Ken Robinson used to tell a joke about like a school teacher. He used, he used to say, you see this so well in children. who, are, And I think children is what we were in the early days of like, yes, of sure. Wistia or, or, or Intercom. Uh, like the joke of the children is like a, they're doing paint class and the teacher walks over to the kid and says, what are you painting? And the child says, I'm drawing a painting of God. And the teacher goes, well, no one knows what God looks like. And the kid says, yeah, well, they will in the minute. You know, and like, <laughs> it's, like the idea being like, it's that like childlike uh, sense of yeah. like, well, well, why not? Like, you know, who says I can't draw yeah. God? And like, it's, you know, once that starts to fade away, uh, and you start becoming like uh, burdened with all of like all of your especially dated knowledge, you just become the grumpy old person who's like nothing new is possible and all that, and you start dismissing every new bit of tech as a fad. And I, yeah. I you know, I bump into these people all, all the time, especially with AI. Like people are just like, oh no, we've seen all this before. Yeah. And I'm like, you actually haven't, mate. I'm telling you, you haven't. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we could go on about that, and we're going to sound like I kind of like, you know, like I would say I would say grumpy old people, but like we're like the young version of that. But you know what I mean? But it's uh, also that's why the new space is exciting because I think it's yeah. like when you realize it is going to change a lot, and it really is at the beginning. Like I've been mm-hmm. saying. To people, I was talking to somebody last night. We're going for a walk, and we we're both talking about AI and how much it's changing. I was like, "This feels so similar to me to when like the cloud was starting to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, when you could make a SaaS business and your cogs yeah. could be like twenty cents." Yeah. And I was like, yeah. "I remember that feeling so well." 
but a lot of people are just in it for the first time today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I've been there. I felt that feeling yeah, yeah. and I know yeah. the opportunity that lives on the other side. And that's really exciting. Yeah. And so it's willing to be an idiot and try a lot of stuff and be wrong totally. because I yeah. know that there's so much opportunity and excitement there. But like uh, it yeah. does take exactly what you're saying, throwing your expertise out and being like, yeah. well, I don't know what's happening here. And like all I can do is learn. Totally. It, it, for me personally, and it sounds like for you as well. It's also been a great like re-energizer in a sense. Like I do feel like we are getting towards like the like you know the the late days of SaaS, like you know, yeah, like totally. it was like yes. getting a little yeah. bit like yo, what are you? Oh, we're a tool that you log into to optimize the ad copy on the ads, and we can API integrate it. I'm just like, oh, yeah. spare me! Like I'm so jaded with all these like minor assists to minor steps in minor workflow type tools. Like not every one of these has to be a billion dollar business or whatever, you know. Whereas now I feel like the whole someone's just like literally like thrown the tablecloth open. Everything's gone. And we have to reset the table. There's going to be a different table. Yeah. So. You have hit the move goal on your Apple Watch every day for over 2,000 days, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just bring us into your thinking there and how you got there? And like, how does everything we're talking about building product scaling companies, like, does it relate also to fitness? So today is 2046 of the streak. Uh, it's, it's actually a little bit longer than that, but I famously had a bug uh, with Apple. Uh, Tim Cook got involved. Uh, but ultimately, uh, it was irreparable. I lost 70 days of the streak. Anyway, I've gotten over it, as you can tell. Um, so, uh, okay. I, I guess a core belief I have is that habits beat goals. Uh, there's actually a great article on, I think, uh, the Farnham Street blog uh, where they talk about this. But the general argument is like that, and it's been studied, that people who are in the habit of behaving a certain way are more likely to achieve goals, even if they don't set them, than people who set the goal. And the people who set the goal are more likely to regress after the goal's been hit than the people who had the habit. So as a result, uh, like a common question I get on the movement streak is when does it stop? And I actually don't think it can now. Like it might stop and I've kind of psychologically prepared myself for the idea that, you know, my watch might irreparably break one day and I'm not able to fix it or whatever. But like, uh, but I think the, the key idea is that, you know, it's that is that Aristotle quote of like, excellence is a habit, not an act. Um, I think the motivation or the way, the, way, the way I think about it is I just, it's not that I'm trying to be healthy to achieve a certain thing. It's just I am healthy. And as a habit, I try and exercise every day. And that usually means walking, running, swimming, soccer, uh, you know, weightlifting. It doesn't really matter. And a measure of whether or not I'm being true to that is the Apple movement goal. Like, you know, if I switch to Android tomorrow, the streak would be gone. But I think I would have to come up with some new way to hold myself accountable to like to an actual target. And I find uh, like tracking my movement. Like if I sit down at 9 p.m. and it's been like, you know, a long flight and a long meeting, I'm faced with a choice of like, you know, today will be the first time in over five years that I've decided not to do anything or get off your ass and go for a little walk. And I'm like, it's a, probably a bit of a big walk in some days because like it's, you know, it's 800 points or whatever. But, um, you know, it's it's a conscious, deliberate choice. And then to your question about product and tying it in there. I really do believe strong and healthy and fit mind means strong and healthy and fit in all ways. Like, sorry, body and mind, I believe in that connection. So like, uh, if I don't have energy, my brain doesn't have energy, and I'll make decisions. If I feel fit and energetic and, you know, like strong, I'll make strong decisions. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll repeatedly make decisions. And then even folks who I've worked with or have engaged with, like, as they've gone through transformations of themselves, I've noticed that their like fortitude or like their tenacity, the willingness to keep coming back and push harder and faster, it's definitely connected, in my opinion, to their energy level, which is connected to their health. Uh, so anyway, that's my kind of brief monologue on all that. What a great way to end. Um, 
so good to see you. Thank you for coming on the show. We have to make it less time before we hang out again. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's do that. Cool, cool. All the best, Chris. So obviously, I just wanted to, I mean, the fitness thing by itself, I feel like we could have just gone like much longer on habits. How do you form them? And, and I love that so much, his idea of... Like habits being better than goals? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard that before, but it makes so much sense. And it, it, and it is... Go ahead. No, you go. No, just like the 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 sort of like intentionality and deliberate choice to like move every day is like, it's very different than being like, I want to lose 20 pounds, you know, like it is, it feels like more of a mindset shift than anything else. And like, I could get behind that. And I think that, you know, some of the, some of the habit conversation actually does relate back to some of the AI conversation, because in some ways, he was saying that the habit that that like most of us are going to have to embrace is just like learning every day, being curious every day and like not relying on expertise or not dwelling in the past. And so like, yeah, going forward, how can we be more intentional and uh, about generative AI or AI period, which still gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I think things are changing so much and so quickly. And there's also like a lot of promises that are being made that are not going to be delivered on. And then there's like a bunch of things that I think like we don't know if they're going to deliver on the promise, but we're going to find out quickly. And so, yeah, it's just a lot of change. The reality is going to be somewhere, probably not at the most extreme version of stuff. Uh, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Some jobs will be changed dramatically and some won't be changed at all. Um, some experiences will be changed dramatically, some won't at all. And then there's also a lot of reasons why a lot of things that are just going to slow down adoption, I think. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this stuff unfolds. Because I also, as I say that, completely agree with Des that like people who are personalized things are going to learn. They're actually just going to learn the fastest. And that is like that is an enormous advantage. And if you are right... And the implementations of things that you create are early and they're the best, then yes, those things are going to take off. But we actually don't know yet which things are going to really connect. Yeah, I feel like last year, a lot of our Talking Too Loud interviews ended up going down sort of like the NFT rabbit hole. And mm. this year feels like it's AI through and through. And 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 like that one's going to stick around. Like Talking Too Loud in 2024 we're still going to be talking about AI. Like this is bigger. Yeah. It's bigger. This and, is bigger. And NFT was like, can you understand this? And what are the implications? And then we're guessing. And now it's like AI is already changing stuff. And so, I mean, we have AI stuff that we're this coming to Wistia actually today. And it's in alpha. People are going to have to search and find it. Um, so, you know, if you're listening to this, you can go look and see if you can find it in your account. <laughs> so anyway, keep watching, keep listening to talking side. We'll, we'll bring you on the journey with us as, as we're figuring out this stuff here at Wistia, we'll bring on guests, um, who are experts in the space and figuring out this stuff as well. It doesn't hurt that like we are actually excited about learning about it. So it's, it keeps it fun for us. 
um, and hopefully fun for you too. And to that note, if it is fun for you, if you're enjoying the show, you have feedback, uh, please rate and review us wherever you listen to the show, wherever you watch the show. You can always email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. And, uh, you know, also I'll, I'll throw this one out. I haven't talked to you about this, Sylvia, but if you send in, um, if you're list, if you're still listening and mm. you really love the show, send us in a voice memo of why you love TTL. And if we get some of these that fit with guests, maybe we'll, we'll put them into the show at the end. How's Amazing. that sound? Love it. Cool. Love a voice memo. And of course you can always find Sylvia and I on Twitter. Sylvia is Gimme the Loot on Twitter. I'm C Savage, but we are spending more of our times on LinkedIn these days. So find us there if you want to chat and learn more. And thank you for tuning in. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.